Yes, I'd like to share with you a little bit uh, today kind of how it all started. But first he says, what is a chemical engineer? Um, basically, all we do is boil water in our particular thing. We we're, have evaporators and crystallizers. And if, there's something called pulp and paper mills. So what they do is they take, they want to make paper. So what they do is they take wood chips and cook it. And it turns it into a pulp. Before you press it into a paper, they wash it. And a number of years ago, they would just take these washings and throw it in a river. So that's where the engineers come along. So these washings have 15% uh, dissolved wood and a lot of little chemicals, cooking chemicals in it. So instead of polluting up the river, we boil off all the water and make a fuel out of it. And it's enough to power the whole plant and make enough steam electricity for the surrounding city as well. Uh, it's about 2,000 gallons a minute. So that's what, so when our engineerings are involved, they're there to build something or fix something that uh, they built that's not working so well. Uh, so that's actually kind of my background. I do uh, troubleshooting. And somebody would say, well, you have to have good grades to be an engineer. But actually, when I was in grade school and high school, I wasn't a very good student. Actually, I was a very bad student with a bad attitude. And my parents were kind of worried about me because I was in the lower... 25% of the class. And um, uh, one particular subject that was confusing was of all things chemistry. All those C's, O's, S's, and H's, what do I care if they could turn some paper blue or not? You know, this, what do they give me all this stuff? It just it cut in my playtime. So I had this attitude and my grades reflected. And one day in study hall, I had a friend who came up with a formula of Snappin' Pops. I don't know if you ever remember that. There's a little stamp and pop. You throw it on the ground, it goes pop. Mm -hmm. And a little weak explosive. And uh, he goes, come on, guy. In study hall, let's sneak in the Christian Brothers lab, chemical lab, and let's whip, whip, up, whip up a batch. <laughs> so I, I find myself going in there, and we're, he's whipping up a batch. And he makes up a little pile of mud. And I look at it, and I go, I had a chemistry set. And all I can come up with those, just a pile of mud, and nothing ever happened. I look at it, and I have no faith in his formula. This pile of mud, nothing's going to happen. And all of a sudden, he starts scooping it out. And it starts drying, and he starts hitting with the back of his pencil. And as it's drying, we start hearing the thing pop, 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 pop. And this, this little work started increasing our faith. Hey, there might be something to this formula. And it's drying, he's scooping more. And what happened is, hit the pop, and he was accidentally making a fuse in between the pile and where he was hitting. And when he hit the pop, it lit up the fuse. And it was burning beautifully, and we both were just watching it in awe. I go, wow, look at that fuse. It went right to the pile, and kapow, it just blew up right on us, right in our face. Louder than a firecracker. We just jumped to our feet, and uh, we're, in, we're in shock. And all of a sudden, my, my left ear is ringing. The right ear, I hear brother's footsteps coming to the lab. Now, if anybody gets caught with firecrackers, they get expelled from high school. And my parents used to say, you, you guys ever get expelled, you know, we all want all the kids to go to college and do this, you guys ever get expelled from high school, we're going to ship you right to the coal mines. And I'm going to go, what happened? I go, here I'm just minding my, boss, my own business, and I'm going to get expelled from school. Brother comes in, he goes, what happened? What's going on? My friend calmly says, look, I had a big book, I dropped it on the ground, made a loud noise, he goes, oh, it was a book, was it? And he doesn't believe it, so he starts walking around while he's interrogating us, looking for the evidence. And I'm just frozen, I go, oh my gosh, I'm trying to... And as he's walking around, what happened when the thing blew up, 
it spread the powder all over the room. And he's walking, and all of a sudden, under his shoes, we could hear the pop, 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 pop. And I'm thinking, oh no, we're doomed, he's, he's got it. But this particular brother, he had a hearing aid, but even with the hearing aid, he couldn't hear too well. So as he's popping around the room, we, we start thinking, goes, he, he doesn't hear it. Now, he's coming around, and my friend, he looks at me out of the corner of his eye, I see him looking at me. Now, if I looked at him, I would bust out laughing. I was one of those guys who would just laugh over the silliest things uncontrollably. And now I have this fear that I'm going to get kicked out of school and now I'm ready to laugh. And it's kind of growing both in my heart. And brother gets right into my face and he goes, Guy, he goes, what are you doing in my lab? And I couldn't answer that. I go, I'm making a bomb? No. And I just said, I said a prayer. And I said, dear God, I'll do whatever you say for the rest of my life. I know, please get me out of this mess. <laughs> and he's looking around and all of a sudden, I, I'm just stunned. I'm just like, I, I don't even answer him. And then he turns around and he just goes, don't ever come in my lab again. Just get out of here. And I leave like this tin man. I'm just going, thanks brother. And now even though I walked around the next few days, um, what happened was I experienced the formula. Before it was just something was keeping me busy, but now I go, hey, that formula is what gives power to our culture. It makes the gasoline go as it fuels the rockets. Now this, this new appreciation for chemistry changed my bad attitude. And then as I started opening up the book, all of a sudden I opened up the book with this little awe, little sense of wonder. And then slowly, very slowly, it started reflecting my grades. And then finally, years, years, I ended up graduating with high honors and one of all things, chemical engineering. But I look back at my life, it was that one faithful day in the lab that changed, uh, changed my life. And it was actually while I was in college, that's when a, a spiritual conversion happened as well. Um, I was, somebody told me I was robotic Catholic, where I was going to Catholic church on Sundays, but I'd go through the motions. I knew exactly when to stand up, uh, kneel and all that, but the light was on, but nobody was home, and that was just my spiritual life. I'm a good Catholic. I go in on Sunday, but I had no idea what was going on, and I really didn't care, but I was more important things. I was working on math and science. That was, to me at the time, was more important. And my uh, sister, my mom, told me about Medjugorje. He goes, there's miracles happen today. And he goes, miracles happen today? I thought, everything in our faith happened 2,000 years ago. I have to see everything myself. I'm going to see this for myself. Thinking about going to Medjugorje, I started brushing up on the faith, because as an engineer sometimes, to troubleshoot, they'll send me out to check on a test for pumps, in case one of the pumps is not working and a vendor is trying to cheat us. So I started reading up on pumps, so I would know all about pumps. When I get out there, I could catch them cheating and go, ha, gotcha, you know, you can't fool us. So I started thinking about going to Medjugorje, and I go, you know, if I'm going to catch whether it's true or not, I'm going to have to start brushing up on my old Roman Catholicism. And again, even though I went to Catholic grade school, Catholic high school, and even two years of Loyola Catholic college before going to IIT in engineering, I realized I couldn't tell you one thing about the Catholic faith, not one. I tried to listen, I couldn't even understand anything. So I figured, I'm going to have to read the Bible for myself. So I took a whole year and I plowed through it, and the first story I want to hit you, only two things made sense for me. And the one, one thing was, uh, everybody's familiar about the Garden of Eden. Our first parents had everything they wanted. And they just had one, one rule. Don't eat the forbidden fruit or you'll die the death. 
What happens? The devil tricks them into it, pierces the snake, trips them into it, lead the forbidden fruit, and the whole history of the human history has been a comedy and errors, a tragedy of errors ever since. And so I'm reading this, and I'll, uh, why is I reading this? One of the things they do as a chemical engineer, they teach you to, they teach you to be a troubleshooter. So basically, you go in to one of these pulp and paper mills, and all the alarms are going off. You know, bing, bing, bing. And they're worried. Either they're losing production or the thing might blow up. So they, and they're all confused, the guys don't, so they go, God, you, you've got an hour to fix this. You know, just go, come and fix it. So it teaches you to just look right for the solution or the antidote, and that's just how you're kind of trained. So I start reading this uh, book, uh, The Genesis, and all of a sudden I realize there's not just one special tree in the Garden of Eden, the forbidden fruit. There was a second special tree called the Tree of Life. And if they eat that fruit, they would live forever. And I'm like, there's an antidote? <laughs> I literally fell out of my chair on the floor. I go, there's an antidote to the tree of life, to the forbidden fruit? How come the sisters didn't tell me about that before? I go, this is obvious what religion is all about, is God's going to give us clues to find the tree of life. We're going to eat this, and the world's going to be this wonderful place. It's obvious. So... I kept on reading the Bible, nothing else makes sense. I'm just struggling, all the stories, nothing makes sense. I get to my favorite story though, happened to be, what was the reading today, about a battle between the two mountains. David on one side and Goliath on the other side, big nine foot giant, and uh, he, he would come out and he'd say, your God is a joke, and you guys are a bunch of wimps. Send your best man to fight me one on one. If he wins, we'll be your slaves, but if I win, you're going to be my slave. So David, he has what engineers call this breakthrough in technology. And again, I, I have a patent on heat exchanger, and that's like this dream of the inventors. You try and get this little breakthrough in technology, and it gives you an advantage over the uh, marketplace. So David, he's got his little sling, and you all know what happened. But when he goes out to the brook to battle, he stops at the brook, and he pulls out five smooth stones. And I go, five, I go, David, you're the inventor. You know you're going to get him in one shot, maybe two. I go, what do you do with those details, five? It, like, drove me nuts. And then he puts him in his shepherd's script. The first one swings around, cracks Goliath in the head, chops itself, and the people of God win. So I love that story. Read the whole Bible, still don't, don't understand anything. <laughs> Looking for clues of tree of life. Finally, the very end is the book of Revelations. And even part good Jesus, walking with Jesus, everything of Jesus went over my head as well. And we get to the book of Revelations, we have the big final battle, the whole world's going up to hell in the handbasket, everybody's going astray, all these crazy things going on, and what happens? They find the tree of life, and they're eating the fruit from the tree of life. The very last chapter in the book of Revelation, I go, aha! I go, there it is again! You know, they're all going to eat it. I go, I know it. I, I, need, I see the beginning and the end, but nothing else in the middle made sense. I go, what clue did I miss? There must have been a very special clue. And I go, I don't know. So finally, I had to come to a conclusion. I took another kind of quiz, what I knew about the Catholic faith after reading the Bible. And I was still, I couldn't tell you one single thing about the Catholic faith. And I remember coming up with a conclusion one day. They said the left brain is for math and science. And the right brain is for liberal arts. And I was never good at liberal arts. And I figured religion must be so far right-brained, I was just never going to understand anything. I remember the day I said, let's just face the facts. 
your right brain retarded, and that's just the way it is. But I'm not going to let that spoil my fun. I'm going to approach Medjugorje from a scientific standpoint, something I could handle. So I signed up a, for a group, and I went out there. It took me uh, six years, actually, when I first started going. It was in 1989, December, when I first went out there. And we're, we're going out there. There was uh, good people who were on the trip. I saw somebody here who was in Medjugorje in the 80s. You were probably on that same trip, um, 89. <clears throat> good people like who were on there. And they were telling me about a previous trip. And you, they said, yes, we saw this miraculous sun. The sun was dancing, and it was spinning. And I looked at them and listened to them. And I go, <clears throat> they're telling me the truth. They believe it. I go, however, I go, these simple people from this third world country, they don't know a high-tech laser show when they see it. So we get out there in Medjugorje, it's just this little dinky town. I start plotting out where the electricity was running, and I'm going to find the possible laser projection sites. And when everybody's looking at the miracle of the sun, I'm going to go to the laser projection sites and go, aha, I gotcha, you know, all of the week's work. That was my plan. Day one comes, oh, no miracles. Day two, no miracles. I go, what a chip, you know, I'm... I'm fooling around with this for all, all these years and nothing happens. And somebody goes, God, he goes, you got to pray. you got to go pray. And I go, well, why not? So I, I half believe things are happening. I read some of this, but I was really confused about what was going on. So I climbed this big mountain, cross mountain, that has this 14-ton cross on it. And I never prayed to the Blessed Mother before. Um, I had this bad attitude about religion, too. I had this attitude, um, nothing made sense, but Marian devotion seemed silly to me. I said, Mary, I pray to God myself. What do I need her for? And that rosary, that silly prayer for little old ladies, I go, what about us engineers? We need prayers too. So I, so I take my attitude to Our Lady, and the first prayer I said to her, I go, hey, Mary, and uh, the visionaries described her as this beautiful 20-year-old woman, long black hair, blue eyes, rosy cheeks, just beautiful. So I, I talked with her like I would talk with any 20-year-old girl. Not to be obnoxious, but I was just kind of that kind of person. I was more nice. I go, hey, Mary. I go, it's me, guy. I go, I'm here from Chicago. I go, I tell you what. I go, give me your best shot. That's my prayer. I tell you what, I'm going to give you my best shot. If you win, I'll do whatever you say. If I win, I'm going to defeat Medjugorje. In the depths of my heart, I feel like it's accepted. And uh, I even wanted to say then, what is it with this silly weapon? And that was the first strange thing that happened to Medjugorje. I went like this, but I couldn't say it. And something stopped me from saying it. And I go, what, there's a logical explanation for this? <laughs> you know, something's unusual going on. I go, obviously I'm acting silly on top of the mountain, shooting up my mouth, my subconscious is taking over and not letting me act more silly. And I just start going, you know what I mean. But anyways, I went down, <clears throat> down the thing. It's right after... Uh, Mass, the next day was December 8th, the Feast of the Immaculate Conception. Come right out of the church, 1 o'clock in the afternoon, all of a sudden, everybody starts seeing the miracle of the sun, dancing and spinning. I'm like, all right, it's going to be here. So I turn up and I look at it, and what happens? It burns my eyes. I'll have to imagine that's the sun up here. And um, I go, there's got to be a logical explanation for it. It turns out the group was over there looking at the miracle of the sun. I was in the side yard, actually at the time, I was digging up holes in the side yard looking for underground wires. I spent half my pilgrimage doing silly things like that, but, uh, and I go, there's a logical explanation, I'm at a bad angle, I can't see the laser show, I gotta go by them. So I walked closer, I looked up, burned my eyes again. 
this does not make sense. Put my sunglasses on, looked up again, burned my eyes again. I go, this does not make sense. So I got my tape recorder and I go, I remember from physics that even if somebody has a laser show going on, you can't stop uh, the radiation from burning the retina. I haven't figured out now, it's always a logical explanation, I'm the only idiot who's looking at the sun. You know, they all must be squinting like this. So I had my, walked around the other side of them with my tape over there commenting how it's going back and forth. They'd look at it go, and I would look right in their eyes, and their eyes are wide open. Now logically, something had to be blocking the sun at all. So what would I do? I looked up and burned my eyes again. And as soon as the black spots would go away, there was eight people in a row, and I got this stuck. And there's, there's a logical explanation for this to eight people. Each time I looked right into their eyes, eyes and each time I looked up at the sun, burned my eyes so bad, finally I couldn't see anymore the black spots. I go, I just got to get the heck out of here. So I just left, and I went down the road towards, for those who've been there in front of St. James, towards Cross Mountain. I was so confused. I was literally doing one of these. My name is Guy Murphy. I live at 22W110 Foster Avenue. I go, they should be blind for as long as they've seen it. I go, what was happening there? And as I'm saying this, all of a sudden, um, I trip in a pothole, and I bump up a sign, and I was saying, I should be blind for as long as I've seen it. I hit the sign, and I got these black spots in my eyes. I'm like, great. I'm blind. And my parents and all my engineering friends are saying, don't go to Medjugorje, don't go to Medjugorje, and I'm going to come back home. Hi, how's your trip? I'm blind. Like, oh, no. You know, if I'm very buddy who should have known better, it should have been me. And I was, I was so mad, I started kicking myself all around Medjugorje. So I'm kicking myself in the pants all around Medjugorje, saying, oh, I've been so stupid. I'm blind to myself. My life is ruined. And I'm walking all around, for those who are familiar with uptown by Chinacola area, and it doesn't clear up. And uh, all of a sudden, I, I do what I do best when my life is over. And then I start saying the prayer, my favorite prayer to God. Dear God, I'll do whatever you say for the rest of my life. I go, please give me my sight back. So I'm saying that prayer, still trying to figure out what had happened. And I kind of scrambled up Apparition Hill. And I don't... I fell a few times, I kind of pulled the dirt. I don't see her with my eyes or hear her with my ears, but something strange starts going in my heart. And Apparition Hill happens to be where she first appeared to the uh, visionaries there. Um, Our Lady had appeared to six visionaries every day, for now it's going to be 35 years um, coming up this June. Allegedly, allegedly she's appearing. So I'm at this hill where she first appeared, and I'm sitting on the rock trying to figure it out. I have these black spots in my eyes that are so bad I can't see. And I don't see her with my eyes or hear with my ears, but something strange starts going on in my heart. It's as if she was there brushing me off. And she was saying, Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. Jesus forgives. Even help me to my feet. Was, and Jesus forgives. And then she said, do you want to help? And I just go, oh, sure. And with that, I felt a kiss right between, right between my eyes and my forehead. Now, if you look up at the sun, your eyes not only burn, it'll hurt. But you look up enough, you get this pain in the bridge of your forehead. This pain felt so bad, it felt like somebody took a baseball bat and it whacked me on the head. So as I'm trying to figure out what had happened, and I felt this kiss, this intense pain, all of a sudden, my eyes... 
the pain goes away, my eyes cleared up, just like that. And I was able to see, and I go, wow! I go, I can see again. And I was just so happy. I didn't, I just ran down the hill, and I was running across the field of grapes, just going, yes, yes, yes. And, and I went home. So that, that was the first uh, part of my journey. But I thought that was the end of the pilgrimage, but actually it was, it was just the beginning. Because then I realized, you know, when I get home, first thing I, I did, I go, all my engineering friends, the workers, they're no dummies, they've got to know about this. So I wrote a little letter. They'll figure it out themselves. You know, they could, I didn't, wasn't worried about them. Send some letters off to them. But I go, i got to start living Our Lady's messages. Now, I have no doubt Medjugorje was true, but I still thought the rosary was this little old lady prayer. So I'd be praying my rosary, and I had this attitude, Hail Mary, full of grace. And after the repetition, I started saying, this is an insult to my intelligence. Hail Mary, full of grace, this is an insult to my intelligence. When I would pray that way, I would start reliving that experience of the lights blind in my eyes. I'd feel completely humiliated, and then... I knew somehow Our Lady was doing that. And I'd be saying, hey, hey, okay, okay, I'm praying, I'm praying. Because when I got back home from Medjugorje, I knew the first two things about the Catholic faith. The first thing is, you don't go up by Mount Krizhvek, a 14-ton cross, and give any lip to the Blessed Mother. You know, I didn't know that before. Now, that was the first thing I knew. And the second thing, one of the truths of our faith, which uh, our legend visitors remind us of, is even though we don't think so, Jesus and Mary are very close to each and every one of us. And what we have to do is we open up our hearts and then we realize that they're there and how much they love us. So when I got back from Medjugorje, it was so obvious. It was like looking through a two-way mirror, wherever she was going. Not that I have any respect for her, not that I think I was changed, but her awareness and her presence kind of reminded me of my duty of, hey, i got to stop praying that rosary. So as I started uh, giving her this about my attitude, about being an insult, my I would relive that experience, I feel completely humiliated, feel the sun blind in my eyes, like, okay, I'm praying, I'm praying. This didn't go on for one or two days. This goes on for every day for three months. I'm a slow learner. At the end of three months, I'm praying my rosary, Hail Mary, full grace, this and that, so relives the experience, and then I start arguing with her. I found myself arguing with her, I go, cut that out. I go, I can't help it if this is a dumb prayer. Somebody gave me a rosary pamphlet. Look at this. First joyful mystery, the Annunciation. Through the mystery, humility. What does humility have to do with the Annunciation? I don't get it. Humility is what you did to me in Medjugorje. You bought me in the head, just like David bought Goliath in the head. And then it was like a light went on, because a lot of people are teaching me that everything in the Old Testament foreshadowed the truths of the faith, the fulfillment in the New Testament. Then I realized that David's sling that he got Goliath with just foreshadowed the true weapon. If you see David's sling here, it's, it's the rosary. <clears throat> and just, just as he got Goliath, when he went to get the five smooth stones, that little detail that hit me, it was the five decades of the rosary. <clears throat> and when I figured this out, and I started patting myself on the back, I go, hey, this is pretty neat. And I know uh, the... The fruit of the first mystery is humility. In the times we're living in, God's going to use this humility of the Blessed Mother to crush the proud head of Satan. So I'm, I'm thinking about this, and I go, I'm starting to go, wow, I know three things about the faith now. I said, the rosary's all right. I start patting myself on the back, and all of a sudden I'm like, wait a second, time out. What's wrong with this picture? I'm on the wrong side. I'm on the receiving end of this 
this weapon. And I, I used to think, I'm a good person, I die, I'm going to go straight to heaven. But actually, the truth was, before going to Medjugorje, I haven't been to confession for 10 years. And as I learned about the faith, I mean, my soul is the state of mortal sin. If I die like that, I'm in big trouble. And the more I learned, the more I, I'm always learning that I'm on the wrong side. I go, but Our Lady's very good. And step by step, like her little children, that's what she's there for. She really works with you, even if she changed your sinful diapers uh, <laughs> along the way. But uh, she's very good. So one other thing I think is very, was very important about that was as I read her messages, one of them had said, she talked about the Eucharist. The Mass is the most important, of holiest of all the moments. At that moment, Jesus Christ becomes alive. And we're to receive Him in our hearts. And I know what she was, she's talking about the Eucharist. I go, are you trying to tell me that Eucharist is not just a symbol? I mean, the Eucharist is God. I go, there's no way I could miss that. I'm, I'm a chemical engineer and I work with heat mass balances all the time. I, I'm trained to look where all the energy is flowing. There is no way something more powerful than a firecracker could be coming in my mouth. More powerful than a stick of dynamite. More powerful than a nuclear bomb. More, more powerful than the sun. God himself is coming in my body all these years and I have no clue. There's no way I can never miss that. And I, I got so mad, I picked up a pillow I inadvertently, before I really, and I went to throw it <laughs> at her because it was so insulting to my, my lack of uh, intelligence. And then I realized, who am I throwing this pillow at? And who am I arguing with all the time? And how come I have to lose every argument? I go, I'm not going to lose this one. There's no way to So I go to the library and I research it up. <clears throat> Number one thing in the Catholic faith, the Eucharist is God. Number one thing in the Catholic faith, the Eucharist is God. I go, my gosh, she's right again. I go, I missed it. So I stopped at a little, what's called an adoration chapel on the way home, where the, the host is kind of displayed in a monstrance. And I go, now that I have a newfound faith, I know four things about the faith, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say hello to my God, my Jesus in front of her. And I, I go in the chapel, I kneel down, and I look up, I go, I, dear God, I got this faith. I look up, I go, I don't see God, I see a piece of bread there. <laughs> and a scripture just kind of came into my memory, um, was, this is the will of the Father. That everybody who looks at the Son and believes in Him will have everlasting life. And I knew exactly what that meant. I had a look at that host, and it was Jesus, and I had to believe it was Jesus, and I would have everlasting life, and I'm like, I don't. Oh no, I'm going to hell again. And I, this fear came over, I go, i got to get out of here. So I get up to run out of the chapel, and again, it's, I don't hear or see her, but Our Lady's presence was very literally grabbed him by the hand. And an inspiration came out real quick was, don't think you know everything. It hit me right in the pride. I'm like, excuse me? <laughs> she goes, pray that God will give you the understanding to understand. So I got down on my knees and I said, dear God, I'm so sorry. I slept in your church all those years. You know, please help me understand that that's you. And I knew it was going to take time, but um, it would happen. So anyways, to kind of to wrap it up a little bit, I, I was going to go back again another time in 91, a uh, year and a half later to Medjugorje. And this time, one of the engineering friends who fell away to church when he was little, he, he goes, Guy, I'm going to come with you on a trip. So we both go, and we're in Medjugorje in April 91. And what happens when the first few days we see the miracle of the sun? And it was 
It looks like uh, the Holy Communion is in front of the sun. And it stops the rays, it looks like the Eucharist stops the rays from burning out your retina. And I'm looking at that and I said, thanks Jesus, because I was slowly increasing my faith on his presence in the Eucharist. But when I could see something as powerful as the sun, and then something that looked like the host blocking it, it helped me understand that, hey, that host is more powerful than the sun. God's more powerful than the sun. And it helps, there's two journeys. The journey you take with your body, your body, but there's another journey, the 18 inches, where you go from your head to your heart. That sometimes is a longer journey. And that's, that, that sign helped this, this journey. And let me ask, has anybody ever seen that sign before? Anybody in the room, any, any seen something like that before? Well, at least one of them had seen it. <laughs> anyways, uh, <clears throat> anyways, my friend, uh, he saw it too. And we got back to the room last night, and now he's trying to digest the events of the day. And he's pacing back and forth, and he goes, no, no. And he's, yes, he's trying to figure out, and he goes, finally he says, guy, he goes, I don't think we saw a miracle. And I'm reading a book, and I said, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he goes, look, he goes, we don't try and look at the sun when we're at home. And it was during the time of the apparition, 6.40 in the evening, it was low enough in the sky our eyes have to adjust to it, made it look like there was a disc in the sun, we were able to see it. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh. And he goes, I would have to see it the same time of day and have it burn my eyes before I believe. And I said, he kind of mumbled it the first time, and I knew he was, he was challenging God. And I said, what did you say, Gerald? And he says it really loud. He goes, I'd have to have it burn my eyes before I believe. And I'm, I'm a blessed mother, you heard him, come on, you've got to get him now. So, the next... The next day we're in church, and it's getting close to the time after we're up praying the rosary. He goes, come on, guy, let's go see the miracle. I go, you go right ahead, Gerald. They go, I'm staying here and praying, you know. <laughs> and he goes out, I stay for the rosary, the mass, and I come out, and what do I, I find him on a bench, and he has his hands covering his eyes like this. And I came up to him, and I just said, Gerald, I go, how you doing? And all he could say is, okay, I believe it now, okay, I believe it. He didn't even tell me till. He got home later on, he said, everybody saw it, and he got his eyes blind at the same time, so he kind of became a believer. See, plus, the mother, she has to work a little harder on some people, some, and especially those engineers, you know, they got, the, they got the, the circle and the square has to kind of fit together sometimes. So, to kind of conclude this up here, when I got home, I have this new, renewed awe and respect for the Blessed Mother. I go, man... She's definitely got this in with God. And over the years, too, I started becoming to appreciate the real power of the rosary, the meditations, and the, how powerful it is. And she just as, wasn't this simple Jewish girl. She was something really special. She has divine wisdom, and God could do all that. So I go, she knows where the tree of life is. And I go, come on, Blessed Mother. I go, where is the tree of life? Come on, what clue did I miss? I want to know. I want to eat this fruit. Come, come on, tell me. So, in the depths of my heart, I, I, I seem to hear her say, pray the rosary for all you ask of me. Now, when I say I hear Blessed Mother, if you take a... I don't hear with my ears, but if you, let's say, study for a test, your mind goes blank, and all of a sudden the answer just comes to you, that's kind of how it is. You kind of read her words or whatever. And then the situation comes up and some of the right words just come to you. And it's just it's kind of a way of annoying. But this particular answer I wasn't happy with. 
pray the rosary, probably so I reluctantly said, pray the rosary. First joyful mystery went okay. And at this time, I was already learning how to meditate more. Your memory, intellect, and will to kind of experience. It's just like the movie behind the Hail Marys is what you have to get into and put yourself in there. And that's where the real power of the rosary is. If you're just doing the Hail Marys and Our Fathers, you're just, it's nice, but you're kind of missing the, you're missing the bullets of the gun there. So, uh, so we, we start praying the rosary, and all of a sudden, the second joyful mystery comes up, the visitation, where Our Lady's going to visit to the hill country um, and visit her cousin Elizabeth. So I'm praying this decade, and I imagine Mary's on a donkey in the hill country, and I start looking at the trees around here, and I said, trees, trees, ah, one of those might be the tree of life. Oh, what, what clue did I miss? It must have been such a special tree. What kind of tree? Maybe it was an apple tree, a cherry tree, a peach tree. It must have been a very special fruit. And then the mystery of the rosary came back. Our Lady greets her cousin Elizabeth. And Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit. Then she cries out in a loud voice. And I'm saying in my meditation, what fruit did I miss? She says, Blessed are you among women. She goes, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. I'm like, fruit? I go, fruit, blessed mother, it's you. You know, you're the true tree of life. And the fruit that we're to eat to live forever is the fruit of her womb, Jesus Christ, particularly the Holy Communion. And as you look up the teachings of the church, John chapter 6, he says, you want to live forever? Eat my flesh, drink my blood, but basically it's have Jesus Christ alive come into your body in Holy Communion. So it's just one of the most amazing, greatest gifts of the uh, Catholic faith, one of the best kept secrets uh, that we have that Our Lady's called us all to share with. And so I remember just spending for a long time just looking, imagine her floating in the corner of the room just in awe. I go, wow, plus the mother, that's you. I, I finally found you. And anyway, so just to travel, I just like to Summarizing and thing, things, a plan. There's like a plan for our world. I, I believe is to help. God sent Our Lady, as she sent Angel Gabriel at Old and sent Our Lady at Fatima to tell him now, is to listen to her message, especially pray the rosary. But the rosary will get rid of the evil, just like David got rid of Goliath. And we just have to pray that, pray that rosary. It's to pray with the heart. Because what it, in today's reading, they says. To David, how come that little weapon defeated that whole army? Why did that happen? He said, because God wants the people to know that it's not by sword and spear that, he, that you're going to win. The battle is the Lord's. So it's the same thing. That's why God's going to use this battle of all the evil to be overcome by the praying with the heart and to be united with Him. So God will work with His people and wake it up. So... Look at Our Lady's main message, praying the rosary, the fasting, the mass, reading the Bible, going to confession, all those wonderful things to get that soul back in the state of grace. The second thing I'd like to encourage people, if you didn't do that Fatima 5 for Saturday, I see Joan and Bob back there, they do a little first Saturday program for many 20 some odd years, we're doing this Fatima first Saturday for five consecutive Fatima first Saturdays. Uh, it's, a, it's a means of grace to not only convert Russia, but to heal our own country. It's just something that God had asked us to do. And the 100 year of anniversary is coming up in Fatima next year. And finally, if you want enthusiasm uh, to do Our Lady's messages or do those first Saturday, I would encourage everybody to consecrate yourself uh, by St. Louis de Montfort's total consecration. Uh, that allows Our Lady 
to kind of, whenever I've been going off the thing, that consecration allows her to intercede very powerfully and put you back on the right track and actually teaches you. When Jesus was dying on his cross, he appoints her as your mother. So she's there to help you, and this consecration lets her help her help you even more powerfully to give to give glory to God. So think about that, St. Louis de Montfort. So thank you very much. I, I appreciate the invitation to come and share with you. And um, God bless and pray for those engineers. Some of them are still lost. We still don't even know we're lost yet. All right, thank you. Does anybody have any questions on the spiritual side of Guy's talk? And then after that, we'll ask him how he started to do his pilgrimages and his Marian conferences. Any questions about anything on the... Was it pretty much a straight line to moving towards God, or was there, like, moving back? I mean, I know you told us about, like, I'm like kind of like a donkey. I get happy pulled sometimes. I don't want to go. Sometimes I trot along merrily, you know. Very good. No, it's, oh. Yeah, for the last um, 26 years, I would say it's, it's a battle. It's like you're, you're trying, but the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know, you're always getting pulled there, but I think that consecration... Uh, the Blessed Mother keeps, as long as you give an effort to uh, keep that rosary going, and I'm really glad it was the best mistake I made by challenging her, says, I'll do whatever you say if you win. And she reminded me sometimes that, hey, I win. Oh yeah, I forgot about that. So once you start uh, praying that rosary then, only because she won. I didn't pray because I liked it at first. It's like a spiritual exercise. Somebody says, what's an exercise? You know, hey, let's, we're going to go jogging around the block after, after half a block, right? Forget this. But actually, once people start jogging for a while in an exercise, you start building up those, uh, those muscles and different things start changing. And all of a sudden, it's easy and it's enjoyable. Now, actually, I've come to enjoy, you know, the 20 decades of the rosary every day. And I know that with the Mass and uh, the Confession, get that soul in the state of grace and uh, have Jesus in the Eucharist, you know, we eat the fruit from the tree of life to live forever. Jesus Christ is, I would say, before that, I didn't even know Jesus. And now, he's my best friend, he's my God, he's my best friend. And as even Blessed Mother, she'll say is, he must increase and I must decrease. So what she does is she magnifies the Lord. And I'm going, boy, who else would I want to go on a pilgrimage in life with with Jesus? You know, he's, he's everything to me and you do everything for him. And, and although you struggle, I have to say... I kind of think she encouraged me to go on these pilgrimages, even help people pilgrimages, because when I'm helping them, it's keeping me out of trouble, because I'd be doing a lot of other things that are not probably good, so it keeps me busy doing good things, and then I know over time, I start growing into the faith. I start appreciating Jesus Christ under the appearance of bread more in the Eucharist. I spend, eventually they talk me into doing an hour adoration every day, and I love I love spending time with the Lord, and uh, and um, I would still do the engineering work, I would subcontract. And they, all the guys would know that, but i go, oh, I'd always find a way. I'd pray, go, bless the mother, I'd like to go to these things. We'd be working 10, 12 hours a day, and somehow it would work out where I'd get to daily mass almost every time. It was, it was just amazing. And I would go to Kenya, I remember I had six trips out to Kenya, and I'm worried about, you know, we're going to be in the middle of the bush country, and I, I'll never get to mass, and you're praying, and all of a sudden, turns out there was some missionary priest out there who imagine their, their Christmas 
uh, collections, 12 cents or something. And all of a sudden they see me going, you give them a few bucks and they'll do mass anytime for you, an extra mass anytime during the day. So they were able to do mass every day I had it there. And eventually they came on pilgrimages with me and uh, it's been a real blessing. So I think that surrendering of that not only helps my faith by New Our Lady, then she would help me coordinate my faith with the work and integrate uh, the two. And I would rely then mostly on that St. Louis de Montfort consecration, and I think I was, a great, I was at a great advantage because I knew nothing about the faith, and I knew I didn't know anything. So even though I was, I was prone to a lot of pride, and I was obnoxious and giving her a hard time, I wasn't proud of my knowledge of what I did know because I already, we already had it established that I was, didn't know anything. So when she would give me these simple things to do, I go, well, why not? So that's how I, I did it. And the pilgrimages itself didn't just happen. I went again another year, and then all of a sudden, those actually the apparitions at the Queen of Heaven Cemetery 25 years ago, those started happening, and then the war broke out in uh, Yugoslavia, and then Our Lady was telling them, don't be afraid, you can come out here. And we started pilgrimaging um, out in the war zone, and it was amazing. You felt the bombs are going off, and your head is saying, no, I should be afraid. In your heart, you felt as safe as a baby in his mother's arm. And it was just it was a phenomenon. You, you kind of went to your uh, rush. It kind of goes to your head. You go, oh, this is awesome. <laughs> Those bullets, the name of Jesus' bullets stop. And you, you felt it, it and it was, it was a wonderful time. So, I mean, a good pilgrimage anyway. So people are still pilgrimages out there during that time of the, uh, uh, from 91 to 95. And actually, who, who in the right mind would start a pilgrimage company going to, you know, like Medjugorje in the middle of the war. I mean, that was, that's just something you don't do, but it was just like baby steps. What happened is we went out there again with another group, and finally go out there in, in 93, we, we come all the way out here, let's go see John Paul II. So a few of us split off the group, went to visit John Paul II, went to some shrines, and there was the people in the prayer groups, when we got back, they heard about the experiences everybody would have, and they go, they go, I want to have that experience too. Let us know you want to go back. I want to have that. So, it's not like we're starting a company, it was just like friends joining us, then we would go back in 94 uh, was the first total years pilgrimage, and then people just kept on saying, hey, I want to go too, I want that experience. Then it was two a year, then three a year, now we're up to 12, uh, 12 pilgrimages a year. And kind of one of our, our mottos is, is uh, we say, join us on a, a total years pilgrimage experience, and then he goes, what will your story be? Because it's what's amazing over the years, that's what ends up happening. I mean, so many thousands of people we took on pilgrimage, but just uh, um, the stories that come out, it's just amazing. God, God has something special for each and every one of us, and He's trying with all of us to have it. Did you have a question back there? Yes, I, I was wondering uh, about um, what does this mean, consecration to Mary, and how did St. Louis get involved with that? And did, uh, Mary talk with you and say, okay, you've got to consecrate yourself to me now. And All right. Really, what does that mean? Very good. Uh, consecrate means you set, a self, set yourself aside for a specific purpose. Um, and this purpose now is you do everything to Jesus, through Mary, but actually through the, Mary's help. And with St. Louis de Montfort, he was a theologian from the 1600s, he came up with this way of perfectly renewing your baptismal formula, your baptismal vows. 
the simplest way of saying it is you, each of you took vows for God on your baptismal vows and promises and you got promises for these vows, your baptismal promises. And you have a reward for your vows and it's, it's a renewal of that except you're going to say, I'm going to renew this but I'm going to ask Blessed Mother to intercede and help me renew this as a holy slave of love. So when you know she wants you to do something, that's kind of how the consecration do it. You, you do 33 days of preparation, you make this consecration, and it's God respects your free will, because you can't have love without a free will. But you, you take this and you're basically free willing, giving her uh, the ability to intercede and intervene with your free will, but you trust her because she's so good that she only does it for your benefit and everybody else's benefit. Who made that kind of famous, John Paul II, he was working in the soda factory during the war, and he says he's thinking about giving up his devotion to Mary and focus more on Jesus. He says he stumbles on St. Louis de Montfort's consecration, um, and he says... True devotion to Mary is very, to use the word, Christocentric, Christ-centered. He says it's also very powerful. He says, you look at the time and pick up this thing, it allowed Our Lady to pull him out of the soda factory, priest, bishop, archbishop, cardinal, pope, 26 years, bing, 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 around the world. What was his motto for his pontificate? Totus tuus, totally yours. That's St. Louis de Montfort's about to Jesus through Mary. And that's our motto for our pilgrimages too. It's totus tuus because we got it from that thing. Because it's kind of, he's the first one to say, this is our lady's work, but I'm going to surrender my talents. Each of us have different talents, different skills that I'm going to surrender to her in a special way. It's like a formal way where she's going to uh, intercede for you to make it happen, to give glory to God. That little book, uh, Weapon of Medjugorje, so I give him opportunity it has the kind of story in there, but it also, at the end of it, it has the 20 decades of the rosary, the scripture part of the 20 decades of the rosary. And when kids, if you put a kid in front of a TV set and turn it off and he's blank screen, after five minutes, he's bored out of his mind and he'll go. But if you turn it on and the, the story comes alive, you know, he, he sits there for five hours and you can't get them away from it. But that's the thing, the key to the rosary, once you start learning the, the scripture story behind each mystery, it starts coming alive and then the Holy Spirit works through that with your imagination, so it puts you in there and that's when it starts coming alive and that's when the rosary becomes from something that's just a blank, a blank screen to something wonderful. So um, we encourage that as well. <laughs> How did you uh, start to do the Marian conferences? As the years went by, it's like our whole culture is getting more, I would say, snuffed out. It's just the, the ones who are on fire, some of them are dying out, not as much new ones coming in. So the numbers went down, and they weren't able to afford those centers anymore. So we were doing pilgrimages, and then it turned out it was the 20-year anniversary of uh, Medjugorje. Nobody was doing... Uh, the conference, a Marian conference for that. And I go, man, it's 20 years, and you guys, and they said, look, we just can't afford it. It's it costing too much money. We can't get the numbers. I go, I say, look, she was, she gave birth to Jesus in a cave. You know, she doesn't need a fancy um, arena. You know, let's just get a little hall, you know, a little cave, and have done it. Whoever comes, come. And, and so we did one. The first one was in 2001. 
And, uh, and we had, I was like, a lot of the pilgrims would come. Because what happened too is, it's nice to have a pilgrim experience when you go, you leave the distractions of your world behind for a week, two weeks or so. It's amazing how you go in a time zone and you start get a new view of, of the elements of your faith and you also start uh, getting the grace uh, from these places, like the holy doors you go through, the, the jubilees of popes have granted several indulgences to a lot of these places, the shrines. You get a lot of grace and it helps the soul. And then you get to center such amazing things start happening on pilgrimages. But, <clears throat> but it's important too, what a, what a conference is, look, not everybody could take a week off. Not everybody could take two weeks off. So let's bring the pilgrimage to them. So we could do this for a weekend, where we try and get some of the speakers or some of the people who had uh, uh, one of the miraculous happenings, uh, one of them will be given a testimony at this next conference. Uh, Colleen Willard had an inoperable brain tumor that Mayo Clinic had diagnosed, Northwestern diagnosed, very solid, completely miraculously cured. Incredible story that went with that, but you have these things where people get exposed to that with, along with the Year of Mercy all the things, amazing things God are doing, we like bring that to them, and they share it, and uh, so it's like a, a mini pilgrimage. So we don't call it a conference all the time, we call it a, a mini pilgrimage, a mini journey. Thank you.